It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody could ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. John Schmelk and Lance Meadow with you. The phone number. We're back to the old number, folks. Remember, it's 201-939-4513. We have a call screener. We have multiple lines. We're back. So get on the line and talk some Giants football with us. But if you're not near a phone or if you're busy working, you can also send in your questions at any time to us at hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. You can also send it to at Lance Meadow, M-E-D-O-W, and at Schmelk. Or you can send in your questions through our online portal. Just go to Giants.com slash podcast slash BBK questions, and we will get to those questions throughout the course of the show. And Lance, first and foremost, how are you? I'm doing very well. How about yourself? I'm doing good. Thank you very much. And a busy day today, Lance, because tomorrow we're going to have our first kind of practice now it's going to be more like an OTA practice where they're not going to be wearing pads and things like that or shells it's just going to be guys running around with helmets and shorts but we're going to see guys on offense going up against guys on defense and it's going to be fun to finally see these guys go out on the field and play some actual football Yeah, we're inching closer to the season. When you look at the calendar, by the way, it's August 13th, and the Giants' first game is the 14th of September. The first Sunday is actually exactly a month away. So I think that alone should present some excitement. But to your point, they're also now entering that three-week territory where we're going to beef up things in practice, and guys and coaches are going to feel a little bit more as if they're in a NFL training camp, which I think is always a positive. They spent so much time through Zoom meetings through technological means that now they could finally apply some of these teachings to the football field, I think is the truest sign of progress. And it's an important period of time. Let's not dismiss this. Let's not overlook this, John. Oh, no preseason every practice games. is important now, man. Ooh, it is. Boy. Well, but you know what? Sometimes you got to overemphasize it even more so because, you know, the more and more I think about the scenarios of what could have been happening in a typical training camp and you do the math and only 14 padded practices and we're not there yet until next week, you know, every single rep, every single route, no matter whether it's at full speed, half speed, you name it, is going to be important because the mental and the physical physical game is going to eventually combine and come into play in less than a month. And the guys that can handle that best with the limited means are obviously going to be the best prepared to start quickly right out of the gates in week one. 100%. You have to take advantage of every mental rep, every walkthrough, which they've been doing, every unpadded practice, every padded practice, every mental rep, you name it. You have to maximize everything that's going on on the football field. It'll be the first time these assistant coaches, Lance, will have a chance to see these players and work with them on the field. Now, they've been doing it in individual sessions so far this week as the veterans entered Phase 2, but this is a little bit different. So uh, we heard from the assistant coaches publicly for the first time today. We heard from half of them. We will get the other half tomorrow, which will be fun to hear from them. Now, I've had a chance to kind of chat with some of these guys at the lunch line before they sent us home back in March. Usually they were running away from Detino, and I got to kind of corral them as they flood Paul. So I had a chance to talk to some of these guys, but nothing in depth because, quite frankly, you rarely saw them those first month and a half or two that they were hired because they were so busy, you know, getting ready for the season. So we've heard from them publicly for the first time today. Uh, And again, we had half today, we'll have half tomorrow. Let's start, Lance, with the quarterback's coach, Jerry Chaplinski, and he talked about exactly what you just referenced, how right now – Normally, this might be the third week of training camp, and you've had a half dozen padded practices already. Well, they're doing some different things with the quarterbacks just to make sure they are ready when real practices do start. Right now with him, we're just really focusing hard on understanding the system. He's putting in a lot of great work, as all those guys are. That's Daniel Jones, um, Getting by the way. communication, the verbiage down, understanding the calls, uh, making the right huddle calls, making the right you know checks at the line of scrimmage, understanding the fronts, the alignments. Getting the communication down, you know, with the line, with the receivers, with all that stuff, and just trying to make sure we got the basics. Coach Garrett always talks about the alphabet. We got to get the alphabet down before we form words, before we do paragraph sentences, paragraphs, all that kind of stuff. And that's really just what we're focusing on now. And I think if he gets that down, and as he's continuing to do, and all those guys do, then I think we'll have a 
a good shot to really work, you know, fundamentally as we're working on and then, you know, getting the whole system down to be productive in it. Yeah, that's that. That's Jerry uh, Chaplinsky talking about Lance. How really they're trying to do the ABCs right now, and and they're not really worrying yet about the you know tougher stuff because you got to get the basics before you get into advanced algebra. You know what I mean? Absolutely, and the communication is going to be so key that everybody's on the same page as a result of what Daniel Jones is saying. To me, that's what he was hitting on because when you look at offenses across the NFL landscape. Most of the concepts are similar, not identical. They're similar. It's just a matter of in the Dallas offense, it may have been called Apple, and now Daniel Jones was used to calling it Orange, so now he has to learn the language. It's a true art form. Let's face it. And don't overlook the fact that when Daniel Jones gets in the huddle, and I'm not saying this is going to be a problem, John, but when the offensive linemen and the receivers and so forth, when they huddle around him, if Daniel has the play down to a T, then everybody else is going to follow his lead. So that's why the emphasis on language is so important. Not to get off subject, but on a similar wavelength. I had a conversation with David Deal on another program. and I feel bad for Dave. We were talking, well, we always give our thoughts and prayers to Dave whenever he has to work with me, but that goes without saying. So anyway, we were having a conversation about language between the quarterback and the rest of the offense, and he was sharing a story in Giants camp, not with Eli, of course, another quarterback, and I won't name the quarterback because I don't want to throw the guy under the bus, but he said that the this other quarterback had to come into the huddle because there was an issue with the previous quarterback, and he was not very sure of himself, John, in terms of the play call and the jargon, and everybody else around was completely lost, and I think he ran one play, and they threw him out of the huddle as a result of that. So, once again, that's the extreme example, and I'm not saying Daniel Jones is having issues, but when we talk about learning the offense and being on the same page with the players, it's not just about throwing a pass to a receiver and making sure the receiver runs the route. It's also, does the quarterback have command of the language of the offense? And that is so important, especially when you haven't had much time on the field this offseason. Well, it inspires confidence, right? I mean, it just inspires the confidence of everybody around you. And not only, Lance, do you have to know what your team's doing in your language, you also have to know what the other team's doing. And that's kind of the next step now uh, for Daniel Jones and the Giants quarterbacks. And that was Jerry Chaputsky, by the way. When he said he, he was referencing Daniel Jones, but it applies to all the quarterbacks. And, you know, he was asked about how you improve on Daniel Jones' ball security. Instead of going into, you know, the holding the ball in the pocket and being strong or in two hands, you know, he talked about a lot of the other things, Lance, that we've talked about here that Jeff and I talked about on our big kind of Daniel Jones year two preview on Tuesday show. You should go find that, by the way. Uh, if you go to my Twitter feed, it'll basically be at the top of my Twitter feed. I, I'm, I'm going to pin that tweet there, so make sure you go check that out. It's also on the Giants YouTube channel on Giants.com slash podcast. And he said ball protection is a lot more in-depth than just keeping two hands on the ball in the pocket. It's been challenging, you know, in the spring, but I think you have to approach it kind of like I said before. I think part of ball security and understanding that is understanding what you're looking at on the other side of the ball, understanding what the defense is in, what they're trying to do based on their coverages, whether they're a deep spot drop zone team or a tight man-to-man team, what that means and what that's going to mean for us and our reads and what we need to do so. The spring, we spent a lot of time diving in the system, learning the basics of it, learning what our reads are in certain plays. And then, you know, we're kind of able to at least do stuff on air. You're looking at timing, um, you know, making the right decisions on air in terms of timing, where we think the ball would go versus certain coverage. And now hopefully when we get out there, we'll just continue to work on it. And I think it's just a thing that we do with all the quarterbacks, um, just harp on all the little details all the time. Where do you fall on you know, willingness to take a hit. I mean, Daniel has shown that he's not afraid to take one, but of course that can, that can lead to mistakes too. So how do you, how do you, what are you coach? How are you coaching that? Yeah. I admire his toughness. He's a tough guy. He works hard. Uh, He's really passionate about the game. I just think ultimately we need to be smart with the football as a quarterback room and as quarterback in general, and we got to make the right decisions. I think there's a time to get down. Um, and protect the ball, and I think there's a time to go ahead and go forward, you know, in certain situations on a, you know, a short yardage thing or whatever when you got to get the first down. I think the biggest thing is just working on when we do have that opportunity to go through is really covering up the ball and make sure we take good care of it. The last thing we want is the ball on the ground. 
and Lance, those are the things we've been talking about, right? Talking about, right? It's processing time, figuring out what the defense is doing, making quick decisions, getting the ball out, not trying to do too much, and always trying to make the big play. So that I'm throwing it away or going down and protecting the ball is just fine. And all that kind of works together in becoming more responsible with the ball and limiting your turnovers. Yeah, it's not just necessarily whether or not he's got a good grasp on the football, as you hit on earlier. It's much more convoluted than that, and the more and more you have a better read of the opposition, you know what their tendencies are, and that's exactly what Jerry Shuplinski was talking about. If you're going up against a heavy blitz team from the right side or the left side, then Daniel Jones has to know going into that game, okay, we've got to get rid of the football, and maybe we need to throw away the ball towards the opposite side so it doesn't lead to a deflection, the ball's batted up in the air and an interception. Those are the types of nuances that he's talking about that, you're right, we don't talk very often, John, about that that goes hand-in-hand with ball security. And I'll give you an example from last year. When the Giants played the Jets, there was that very well-known play where Jamal Adams, there was a breakdown up front. He ran right through the heart of the Giants' offensive line. There was a breakdown in terms of the running back at pass protection. And he then tackled Daniel Jones, ripped the ball out of his hand in the process, and ran it in for a touchdown. If you know the tendencies of the opposition and you know where breakdowns occurred from previous opponents, then maybe you understand the timing of getting rid of the football or maybe just going down, live to see another down, not trying to make more than it needs to be out of the play. Those are the types of things that film study brings to the forefront. And that's exactly what he talked about that they've been working on, which I think is wise, John. If you don't have practices on the field, well, make the most of the film session. And the film session doesn't have to just be about watching Daniel Jones from 2019. It's also maybe watching some of the opposition that you're going to be going up against and understanding the tendencies of those players. Because, John, what was one of the things we've talked about when you look at, on a general sense, the opponent the Giants are going to be playing this year. They're playing a lot of elite pass rushers. And more often than not, these teams have multiple elite pass rushers, which means if you study them while you have the time and you pick up on their tendencies, well, yes, things are going to change by the time we get to week eight and week nine. It could still maybe help Daniel Jones's process of his decision-making, which could lead to better ball security this season. Yeah, and we'll touch on it, I guess, a little bit later. The Cowboys added another pass rusher, at least reportedly. I'm they not sure indeed. if it's official yet, but Everson Griffin, a player that we've talked a lot about on this program is um, joining the Cowboys to play across from Demarcus Lawrence and join Randy Gregory, Alden Smith, Tyrone Crawford. So another guy that they're going to have to account for. But Lance, you're 100% right. Look, that's just something, and, and that should come with more experience, right? And you hope that the fact that he has to learn a new system and he has to pay so much attention to that and that there was not a real offseason program doesn't slow Daniel Jones' development that way. Because you can say, well, just do both. Well, they only have so much brain power and so many hours in the day, right, to to study this stuff and work on it. So you just hope that the unique circumstances that he's facing this offseason doesn't slow that type of progress down at all. Yeah, well, you know, when you said the unique circumstances, and I agree, you are trying to balance both where you don't want him to take away from learning the system. Because remember, he has to get used to the Giants' offense. That's priority number one. But... It is interesting when we talk about the unique circumstances, and I think it's no different to just build a parallel, John, to what everybody else is dealing with right now. For those of you who are working at home, you may now have time to do things simultaneously while you're working that you previously probably weren't able to do, right? Because you're out and about or you're traveling to and from work, but now that you're maybe back in the confines of your own house, you can work, you can make a meal, you can clean the house and so forth. I'm just throwing out examples. And Lance does all these things while hosting your shows, by the way. Just 100%. Well, that's because huh? I'm a renaissance man, John. You just are unwilling to admit it and say the true label, but I'm a renaissance man, okay? See, we're really digging deep into the well-being of Lance Meadow as I continue to refer to myself in the third yes. person, which is another great talent of mine as we move along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. But getting back to the point at hand, the more and more I was thinking about the phrase that you just used, I wonder, and I don't think this question has been posed to Daniel, but I would even be curious to ask any player, the fact that you have been home and you haven't been traveling to and from the facility, and yes, a lot of these guys have been working out, I just wonder if they're taking the time that they normally wouldn't have, John, to maybe watch some of the opponents that they're going to be playing this season or go back and look at film that they may have not had an opportunity to do in previous off-seasons. Yeah, and just not having as much on-field work too, you know, which, yeah. we, which will help you make those steps and 
Remember, just the more you see this stuff, even if it's in practice, the faster you're going to get a processing it. So just things to keep in mind. Now, he was asked, Jerry Chaplinski, about the Giants' uh, large group of backup quarterbacks. It's Colt McCoy. It's Alex Tanney. It's Cooper Rush. And what he thinks of those guys and carrying them into the season as a backup for Daniel Jones. Yeah, I like these guys. Um, I'm excited about what we have in the room. You know, a lot of the discussion's been on Daniel here today, and I certainly understand that. Um, but those other guys are, are awesome. Um, you know, Colt is a, a, a good veteran. He's seen a lot in this league. He understands a lot, uh, works really hard in the meetings, pays great attention, asks really good questions. Um, he's probably the question asker of the group, and I don't know that he's always asking it for himself, but he's seen things and knows that things might come up, and so he's not afraid to ask the questions. Uh, Cooper has a lot of experience in our system, um, but he still comes to work every day and, and is learning and learning new things and, and growing and you know opening up his communication. Um, and then Alex, uh, who has been here, a uh, really sharp guy mentally, really understands the game of football. And again, those guys all come into work every day. I think we're, we're all learning about each other. Um, I think, you know, Daniel and Alex were in the same room last year, but the rest of us weren't, you know, Jason, me, um, you know, um, Cole Cooper. So we're all learning about each other. We're all growing together. It's been really fun so far. Those guys that couldn't ask for anything more. They're, they're, you know, every chance they get, they're working hard and they're in their studies. And that's what you want out of backups, right? You want guys that are going to be there, work hard, help the starting quarterback, and just be there and be ready and be competent so when you they come in, you can run your offense. Now, is it going to be the same offense? No. Is it going to be, you know, as effective and as explosive as when your starter is in there? No. But you want to be able to unleash your full playbook and do what you want to do. And, and I think it sounds to me like Jerry Chaplinski is confident that his group of guys can do just that. Well, I'll go back to what Pat Shermer preached a lot in the previous coaching regime, John, and one of the things that he always said was, number one, I like a veteran backup quarterback because that guy can go into a game with very few reps during the course of the week. So that ties into what Jerry Shuplinski just talked about and having Colt McCoy. And I thought it was very interesting in his response where he said, Colt's asking questions, and more often than not, Colt's not asking questions yeah. for himself, but he's asking questions and pointing things out on film because he thinks it can help a guy like Daniel Jones. And when you're a backup quarterback, especially a veteran, like Colt McCoy, and I'm sure at this point in his career, he's been through this rodeo so often that he understands that you can't just be selfish and play into the ego, that a lot of what you do behind the scenes could actually help Daniel in the long run, but most people may not give you credit. He gets it because of how he's gone from Cleveland to Washington and so forth, and he's been with a variety of different quarterbacks. So if you have a guy that's buying in from that mindset, I think that's excellent to have around Daniel Jones. Alex Tanney, he's been around Daniel already. And then the Cooper Rush factor, remember, when the Giants signed him, we immediately talked about, hey, in an offseason, John, when you don't have on-field reps – he could be very well an extension of Jason Garrett because if there's anybody knows this offense better than even Daniel Jones, it's Cooper Rush because he's been around the language. He's been in the Dallas system. So there's another guy that I'm sure is bringing up statements, is asking questions while they're in the quarterback room, and Daniel could very well benefit from that. And remember, this response, it's important to note, John, was stemming from a question that pertained to, hey, this year, more so than any other season, the backup quarterbacks are of utmost importance because you're dealing with the injury bug on top of the coronavirus, and you need to make sure that you have a healthy quarterback room, which is what Pat Shermer also had emphasized previously. You got to make sure that guys like being around one another. They could communicate, and also guys like Colt McCoy know they're not going to get a lot of reps. They're going to get even fewer reps, John, because there's no preseason games. That you feel good, God forbid something happens to Daniel Jones, Colt could come in in a heartbeat and you know you at least can run your offense to the degree that you can be somewhat productive. No question about it. All right, just want to remind their folks, we got a bunch of other assistant coach audio here, but if you want to get in in the meanwhile and give us a call at 201-939-4513, you can. You can check us out on Twitter at hashtag GiantsChat. If you want to chat with us there, you can do that as well. Or again, you can go to our online portal. It's giants.com slash podcast slash BBK questions. Again, phones with the folks. We got three lines up. We got a call screener. So if you get on, we'll get to you. 
Uh, the line should not be busy, and we will get to you guys as soon as we possibly can. All right, Lance, let's stick on the offensive side of the ball. We heard from Freddie, Freddie Kitchens, the Giants' tight ends coach, who, of course, was the head coach of the Cleveland Browns last year, the offensive coordinator the second half of the year prior. Uh, he is coaching the Giants' tight ends. Most of the questions were basically, boy, you really want to be a position coach after you're a head coach, and he kind of ignored all those questions. But he, <laughs> he did answer one about Evan Ingram and what his approach should be this year. Let's listen in. Evan is in the mindset that he should be in, and that's just getting better today. You know, we're trying to stay in the moment here uh, with every position, with every player, with every coach and keep our head down and just work to get better each and every day. And Evan's done a good job up to this point in doing that. He did a hell of a job this summer in rehabbing and getting getting back to where he's at right now and, and just kind of taking it day to day and, and getting better with his releases, his hand placement, his, you know, with everything. You know, every aspect of Evan's game we want to try to get better at each and every day. And Evan's done an unbelievable job and and staying focused and concentrating on that even more specific than every day, just every rep. Um, you know, he's done a good job, and, and we're just going to stay in the moment. And that's Freddie Kitchens, and just basically saying, don't think of the big picture right now, Lance. You just have to take it day by day, especially in this environment. Get better a little bit each day. Don't think too much, and knock on wood, Evan Ingram hopes he stays on the field and can finally put together that type of Pro Bowl year a lot of people think he's capable of. Well, Evan spoke to the media a few days ago, and anybody could tell you that the injury bug has been a narrative held over his head, and he knows that, and he responded to that. So the one thing that I liked about what Freddie Kitchen said, and Evan even touched on this in his response when he was peppered with questions on a similar subject, he can't start thinking about, I'm going to play 15 games, I'm going to play 14 games. He doesn't have a crystal ball, but... You can't fault him for going into the season, same thing with Freddie Kitchens, feeling optimistic. I would never fault a player if they were asked the question, hey, do you think this is going to be your year? Well, what do you want them to say? You want them to say, no, I think I'm going to play five games? So if Freddie Kitchens is telling Evan, you got to stick to the small picture right now. Get through training camp healthy. And that should be Evan's goal. Make sure that you're ready to go week one. And then you... Treat it like quarters, which is how most coaches treat the season anyway, right? You want to have a winning quarter for every four games of the season? Well, you know, Evan, I think, should have a similar approach because there's not going to be any secret recipe that is going to wave a magic spell and say, just like that, that he is going to be able to play 16 games. He can't be thinking like that. And the other thing, by the way, in terms of Freddie Kitchens adjusting to life now as a positional coach, I think a lot of people forget Freddie Kitchens has been a tight ends coach in Mississippi State Cowboys tight ends coach, Arizona Cardinals tight ends coach, and now this is his fourth go-around. So if there's any actual position that he's extremely been focused on throughout the course of his career, whether it be a college or the NFL, it's actually been this position. Yeah, no question about it. And look, this is what he has to do. This is the position he has to put himself in. And, and the Giants need him, Lance. Look, he's a, he's a difference-making type of player. He's a guy that can... Take advantage of mismatches, mis mismatches. Tight ends can't, uh, linebackers can't cover him. Safeties are going to have trouble covering him too, and it's just something that Evans going to have to figure out and just stay on the field. And a lot of the stuff is bad luck, you know. Yeah. You know, he had structural stuff with his knee, right? He had a structural thing with his foot. You know, these aren't muscle pulls generally. I think he had one hamstring. But it's been a lot of structural stuff, and you know, it's not like you can train better to stop yourself from you know straining the knee ligament. You can't practice more to stop your, you know, foot from, you know, hurting a list, Frank. You know, yeah. that isn't training. That's just luck, and there's really not much you can do about it. Well, and that goes into just the big-picture perspective. You hear most coaches, and even Tyke Tolbert, who we're going to hear from a little bit later on, but I don't think we're going to play this exact quote, he even said, the teams that are the luckiest— and that means in the health department are probably going to have the best success this season. But you could argue that— is the case pretty much every season in the NFL. And luck is not necessarily something that you prepare for or that you position yourself to have. It's just a matter of, hey, maybe your guys don't have another defensive player fall on them in a precarious spot over the course of the season, which has happened to Evan during his playing career. You can only work so hard to mentally and physically prepare yourself for the upcoming season. There is no... Once again, 
magic potion or magic lotion that Evan could put all over his body that's going to give him a guarantee that he's going to be out there for 16 games. But once again, you go back to the contract, you go back to the narrative that has been held over his head, he is aware of the situation. This is not anything that he hasn't been asked about or he hasn't been talking about. So the bottom line is, hopefully... The injury bug cooperates, stays away, and Evan is able to stay fully healthy on the field this season because I think he's going to be an extreme X factor based on what Jason Garrett has done with tight ends and based on, John, what we saw in the early stages of last season. Remember, he was on path for a career year. There's no question about his skill set or his talent. It's just a matter of, is he going to remain durable enough to actually showcase that skill set on a weekly basis? Yeah, no question about it, Lance. And you mentioned Tyke Tobert. Another guy that the Giants will be relying on heavily this year is wide receiver Darius Slayton. Coming off his rookie season, here's what Ty Tober thinks of Darius in year number two. I think the difference is for Darius is, is this year two, obviously, and it's game experience. He did get some game experience in the NFL last year. You know, at this point in time last year, he hadn't played an NFL snap. Uh, so now he has some game experience, and uh, he can go out there and and he knows the speed of the game and how the defensive backs play in the NFL. Um, that's going to be the biggest difference. I mean, he's a smart guy. He, he's learning the new offense, as we all are. Um, but we're looking forward to, to Darius, you know, getting there to compete. And, and, and last year was last year. That's gone. You know, this is a new year. And he's out there competing with everybody else. And, and uh, again, being healthy is the biggest thing. So we can stay healthy and have all our, our guys out there on the field. Um, I think we'll, we'll go out there and we'll play pretty hard and, play well and, and see what happens. And the question is, can he take that next step? You know, Lance, he did very well in his first year. The Giants never had all five of their offensive weapons on the field at the same time. We've talked about that ad nauseum here over the course of the offseason. But can Slayton, you know, become that 1,000-yard wide receiver? Can he catch 70 to 80 balls? Can he take that next step? Because we've seen a lot of guys have big rookie years and then kind of plateau. Can he continue to rise instead of plateauing? Well, I go back to what I've echoed previously on this program, John. The fact that, as you pointed out, they did not have their five weapons on the field simultaneously, I'm just wondering, are the numbers last season and the productivity as a result of Daniel turning to him because there was an inconsistency in who was in the lineup? So therefore, if you have, ideally, the five guys on the field at the same time, where do his targets go this season? If he's not a heavy targeted player, where else can he contribute, especially in the blocking game to help the running game because of what we saw guys like what Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate could do up the field? Does he continue to hone his craft in that department? That's the one thing that I think we have to monitor, which is why when Tyke says, hey, we can't just pick up where we left off from last season and just assume that it's going to be smooth sailing because the dynamics of this offense are changing. It's not just the fact that it's Jason Garrett's offense. It's as you hit on, there's going to be four guys, hopefully on the field the same time that Darius is on the field that he did not have around him on a consistent basis. And as we well know, if you just look at other NFL teams, the more talent you put on the field, the more of a headache it is for the defense and the quarterback, if the quarterback is an equal opportunist and he doesn't favor one guy, which Daniel Jones, I'm assuming, is not going to, especially with how the Cowboys offense is operated with Dak, then that means there's going to be games where Darius may be heavily involved, depending on if he's winning his battles, and there may be games, John, where he is relatively quiet. So I think we have to take that into consideration when we start projecting what Darius can do this season connected to what he did as a rookie. Yeah, it might be better for the team if the ball spread around. Yeah. And if that's better for the team and his numbers don't jump, which is like we talked about this all year, right, with the over-unders we did and everything, look, go to your mismatch. Go to where you think you have the biggest advantage. One week it might be Darius Slayton. The next week it might be Evan Ingram. Then maybe it's Golden Tate in the slot or Shepard in the slot or Barkley out of the backfield. There's a million different ways you can go, and that's it's always a good thing to have as many options as possible for Jason Garrett. And the offense. The Giants' three wide receivers, Lance, are fairly set. They're top three. Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate, and the aforementioned Darius Slayton. Who's number four? Well, there's a good chance it's going to be Corey Coleman, who tore up his knee early in training camp last year. He actually finished practice on a torn ACL, believe it or not, that day. Uh, Tyke Tobert talks about what he expects from Corey Coleman returning this year off that injury. Corey, he did a really good job this offseason and this summer being with the trainers, getting rehabbed, getting ready to go. Um, There's only so much he could do with the, with all the COVID stuff, so he still has some um, to do a lot of work on his own, which he did. 
And uh, I think Corey is pretty much back to where he was before he got injured. And uh, I'm just looking forward for Corey to go out there and compete like everybody else. You know, it's, you know he, he's making strides right now, um, but uh, he's going to go out there and, and practice hard and do what he has to do. And, and uh, with everybody competing, um, I'm looking forward for him to go out there and make some plays for us and, and see where the chips fall. You know, Lance, one thing we haven't talked about much is the competition behind those top three wide receivers. And look, I'm not going to put Coleman a head and shoulders above these other guys, but the rest of that wide receiver depth chart, and they're usually keeping five or six wide receivers, it is wide open with a lot of young guys with a lot of talent. Yeah, and that's why if you're Corey Coleman, you should feel pretty good about your situation because everybody behind Corey Coleman, it's a mix of undrafted free agents or maybe one or two players that were with the Giants in training camp previously and David Sills, of course, who was on the practice squad. You don't have somebody anywhere near the resume of Corey Coleman, and I get it. Corey Coleman has been plagued by injuries. He's been a journeyman. He's been with a variety of teams in a small sample size. But let's not forget, John, Corey Coleman, and it seems like it was ages ago, 2018, he played in eight games. He started one game, and his numbers didn't jump off the roof. Okay, but I thought he showed some positive flashes where he showed that he can be a vertical threat. He can make plays for the quarterback, that if he can add that dimension to this Giants offense, and number one, of course, stay healthy, I like his chances of carving out that fourth role. This is a former first-round pick, and this is not an old man we're talking about, okay? Corey Coleman was a first-round pick of 2016. We're talking about somebody that is 26 years old, Unfortunately, once again, like Evan Ingram, has shown flashes but hasn't been able to put that complete season together. You play the paper test. You play the eye test right now. I think it would be an extreme disappointment, at least personally to Corey Coleman, if he doesn't win the fourth wide receiver job because he's been in a training camp before. He's played in NFL games, and he's been in the Giants organization. That's nothing that any of those other guys on the back end of the depth chart could say, regardless of some of the positives that we've seen in their college tape. No question about it, Lance. Let's jump now to the defensive side of the ball. We heard from a couple of defensive coaches today. Kevin Scherer, the linebacker's coach, and also from uh, Spencer, the defensive line coach, kept uh, Coach Chaos, Sean Spencer, they call him. Both uh, former collegiate coaches that kind of came up and had past experience with Joe Judge. Scherer was with him when Judge was a very, very young coach. Sean Spencer uh, have connections and was good friends with Patrick Graham for a long time. Let's start with Scherer first, Lance, since we only have one cut from him. And he talked about, I believe this question was, how he's teaching the linebackers and working in conjunction with Patrick Graham, Joe Judge, and the other position coaches. A lot of it ties into what Pat Graham has kind of laid down as uh, kind of who we're going to be uh, defensively. Uh, some of that ties into who, what our personnel is. So, yes, we all kind of co uh, collaborate on that. And um, in our skill set that we teach is, again, around the fundamentals that Joe's laid down, just of the functional movements of a football player. So, uh, yeah, there are times where we pair up, you know, with a defensive front, with the outside backers, and kind of interchange uh, uh, players, you might say ideas he'll coach you know the inside and vice versa uh, it sort of just depends on what's going on during practice time and that's Shara basically talking about you know moving back and forth inside linebacker outside linebacker he said occasionally maybe he'll do some stuff with the outside linebackers otherwise they'll be with uh, Brett Belima who of course is the outside linebackers coach and senior assistant we'll hear from him tomorrow but Lance it just talks about how everything in his defense is interconnected and it all comes back to what Patrick Graham wants to do well, it also goes back to what Joe Judge talked about. If you remember in a previous media session, he was asked about the linebacker position, John, and what Joe Judge said is some of these guys are going to be interchangeable. We're going to have some of the outside guys play on the inside and vice versa depending on what we see out of them in practice. So Kevin Scherer's response is in line with what we've heard out of Patrick Graham and also what we've heard out of Joe Judge, which is this multiple defensive alignment where they're not going to necessarily label one guy under one umbrella. They're going to mix and match players. What did we talk about on a previous day's program in terms of James Bradbury and Jabril Peppers being asked about you know, whether or not they're going to move around or be interchangeable between various corner spots or corner and safety? This is a theme right now with respect to this defense. So, 
Shara's responses, once again, fall right in line with what we've heard previously, which is to me is a positive because it means that everybody's on the same page. And I think that they want to explore what they could get out of this various linebacking group because, once again, you've had limited time on the field and it's the first year of this defense. Why all of a sudden pigeonhole these guys? Well, we can only use these guys as an interior guy. We don't want to blitz this guy because we didn't see him do it in college. No. Right now, I think everything should be wide open to see what can you get out of this group? Where do they feel most comfortable? And I think that's what right now they're trying to feel out. They're trying to test. And I think it's going to be a process that plays out all throughout the season. It may take this coaching staff, John, given the fact that there's limited padded practices. They may not get a good read on a guy, especially some of these young players that make the roster until they get about three or four games of film under their belt in the regular season. And I'm not saying the Giants are in that boat. I think you could probably say most teams are going to be operating under a similar feel that what we could have known about a guy after three or four preseason games, we're going to have to now wait till we get into the heart of the regular season. Yeah, and Lance, especially considering how young this linebacker position is. I mean, this team right now, just looking at the roster, I'm just going to count them, okay? They have, I'm counting one, two, three, four, five, six. 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, I think 13 linebackers on their roster right now, according to this. Now, some of those include the edge rushers, fine. But it's a lot of linebackers, okay? And you look at the youth. T.J. Brunson, rookie draft pick. You have Dominique Ross, undrafted free agent. You have Mark McLaurin, first-year player. You have Cam Brown, rookie. They just waived McLaurin, by the way. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. You're right. Yeah. McLaurin was recently waived. Good point. I'm just reading off the roster. No, understandable. Thinking. Carter Coughlin, draft pick. Devontae Downs, young player, just in his third season. O'Shane Zimenez, just in his second season. Ryan Connolly, didn't even play a full first season heading into his second year. Lorenzo Carter, the grizzled veteran in his third <laughs> year. I mean, the, the only guy that they have really have here that has any sort of experience is David Mayo and Blake Martinez. And Kyler Fackrell, and he's an edge guy. He's not even a true linebacker. So they just have so many young guys, Lance, that you got to figure out where they're going to fit in and, and how they help in the NFL. Because in college, with the way the offenses work, the position, the nature of what you're asked to do is so much different than what happens at the NFL level. Yeah, it's night and day in some circumstances, especially depending on what the scheme called you to do in college, whether it was very basic or you weren't a versatile player. But here's what I wonder may help some of these young guys. It's been talked about, John, that this is a college preseason right now. What the NFL is going through, this is a typical college preseason, which is where they get started in late July, early August, and there are no preseason college games, okay? We don't have one or two warm-up games that college teams go through before they start week zero or week one. So a lot of these coaches, by the way, on the Giants staff, interestingly, John, have come from where? The collegiate game, they're not that far removed. So I wonder if that's helping this adjustment period go relatively smoothly because what you're asking these guys to show during the course of practice, they've been through this for the last three or four years because they know, hey, I haven't had a preseason game all these years I've been in college. I know in order to make the team, in order to carve out more playing time in the regular season, I've got to show A, B, C, and D in practice. And the coaches know to look for those things because a guy like Spencer, he's been in the collegiate level all this time. So he doesn't know what the luxury is to have a preseason game. And some of those other coaches you name, maybe this is actually not as big of an adjustment, I wonder, for the bulk of the Giants coaching staff and a lot of these young linebackers that we're talking about because they don't know out of naivety what life in the NFL has been like. So I actually, I just wonder in the big picture of things if that's helping everybody be on the same page. Now, Back to your point, it still doesn't necessarily make you feel as if you know a lot more about the player because this is only year one of their NFL careers. But I think what it does is it puts an additional pressure on a guy like Ryan Connolly to maybe get out there week one because he at least has been in the NFL, small sample size, and a guy like Blake Martinez. And it wouldn't surprise me, John, in the early stage of the season, if Patrick Graham keeps those two guys in particular, maybe Martinez more so than Connolly, on the field for an extra few downs that we had anticipated because they just haven't seen enough out of these young guys yet. And by the way, Tay Crowder's another young linebacker that I didn't mention. He's down there on the reserve list. This is not the most up-to-date roster. Well, here's but, um, another one. What about Tao Effa? Did you name him? I don't know if you named him earlier. Well, he is also down there on the, okay. on, on so, the COVID list, which is exactly <laughs> why. I mean, it's crazy. There you go. 
It's crazy. They have so many, so many young players, Lance. They really do, especially a linebacker. And it's funny you mentioned the difference between college football and the NFL. Well, one of those coaches you referenced, Lance, is Sean Spencer, the Giants' defensive line coach. And he was asked as someone with a reputation for being a little bit energetic, a little bit fiery, and someone that causes a little bit of chaos (laughs) on the practice field, whether or not his approach to NFL players has to be different than what his approach to college players were. No, I can't change, man. I can't change. So I got to, I'm coming, I'm coming hard every day. So, um, you know, those guys know about my energy and, you know, they've got the experience a little bit. I told them like today that, you know, this, that wasn't a one-time thing yesterday that it's going to be like that every day, but it's, so where you bring it, you know, I mean, you can bring positive energy and be excited without, you know, being, you know, berating somebody, you know, they, they can feel when you're upset and feel when you're happy. So, uh, I, I have to coach like that. When I leave the practice field, I got to be completely sweating. I didn't do a good job. Yeah, and let's look. There is a difference, right? It, you you treat an eighteen year old kid different than you treat a thirty year old man. It's just kind of the way it goes. So it's interesting that he says, "Look, I'm going to be myself," and I think that's important, right? We've kind of talked about this in reference to Joe Judge. You can learn from Nick Saban. You can learn from Bill Belichick. But you have to be your own man. You have to operate what's natural to you. That's how people will follow you, and and that's how you'll be successful. If you try to be somebody else, it's not going to work, and Sean Spencer is going to be himself. And, boy, he was, like, just juiced up during that media availability. He's going to be fun to watch on the practice field. Well, I think what it indicates, as you use the term juiced up, the way he acts on the field is not very different in terms of his interaction with people. He's a high-energy guy, which you want out of a defensive line coach because, you know, that's one of the toughest positions to play. You're in the trenches. You know, you're in tight parameters, tight space, and you want your guys to grind it out each and every day. So I think at least based on his media session today with just the media, if that's the energy that he brings towards his interaction with the media, I can only imagine what it's like with the players. And you hope that the players respond and they feed off of that. But, you know, to your point about if that's what's worked for him at the collegiate level, yeah, why would you change it up? Because also, if you've gotten a lot out of players at Penn State, which was his most recent stop, and the players responded well to that, then even though, to your point, John, you are working with maybe a few more polished veterans, but let's face it, the defensive line, for the most part, a lot of young guys that are not that far removed from college. So once again, I don't think this is a huge transition for a guy like Sean Spencer that he would have to change things up because Dexter Lawrence, how far removed is he from college, right? Not very long. And he also recruited a lot of these guys, Sean Spencer, as he talked to the media about, during their high school careers. So, you know, he's followed them. I'm sure Dalvin Tomlinson probably is somebody also he probably recruited. I think that makes for, once again, a very smooth transition where his energy is probably related to what a lot of these defensive linemen saw in college to begin with. And I don't think he even has to hesitate or think about, I've got to now take on a new persona. Because if the kids at Penn State loved what he was selling, and they bought into that, then why would guys that are not that far removed from college follow the same path? And one of the guys he's going to be coaching up is Leonard Williams. I think, what you know, in the offseason here, you know, through the Zoom and things like that, because it's just a, a different situation, I was able to develop a, quite the relationship with Leonard. Um, and I think um, he knows I have his best interests in mind. And, uh, you know, he wants to have success. You know, no one goes out on the field and say, say that I was just high drive pick that, um, you know, I haven't, I haven't reached my potential. He wants to be great. He's detailed in the meetings. He asks great questions. You know, he's in the football. And, you know, I'm here to help help him take his next step, whatever that is. Um, you know, he, he's a talented guy, and I'm excited to work with him. And that's Leonard Williams. Somebody lands the Giants hope will finally break out you know he's been he was drafted high. He was a, a he's still a very good player, very effective player. But he hasn't kind of reached that star status, and they hope Sean Spencer can get that out of him somehow. Well, that's been the question that I think has been posed to Leonard Williams himself over the last few years: Is Leonard Williams the type of player that opens up opportunities for others around him and is going to be a guy that's going to get quarterback hits, but not be a big sack guy, which has proven to be true and be good against the, the run, career? all that stuff. Of course. Or is it going to now start a new route that he is going to take 
with the assistance of Patrick Graham and, of course, Sean Spencer. Because I think it was an interesting question which Sean Spencer responded to, and the question was, are you going to be the coach that pulls something out of Leonard Williams that maybe his previous coaches didn't? And I think every coach dreams of that. Yeah, I'm going to be the guy that hones the craft of the player and is going to get him to have the breakout campaign. But I think also, in order to answer that question, and Sean Spencer, in other questions, maybe addressed it somewhat, is... What do they want, John, out of Leonard Williams in this defense? Okay, what does Patrick Graham envision Leonard Williams' role is going to be? Do they envision him to position himself to be now all of a sudden a guy that's going to get a few more sacks a season? Or do they envision him, in terms of what he's going to be called to do, to collapse the pocket and then allow the Marcus Goldens and the Kyler Fackrells of the world to finish? You know, only Patrick Graham can answer that right now based on what he's putting together on the defensive side of the ball. And it's still early to answer that question. So when somebody asks me, well, what do you expect out of Leonard Williams this year? Number one, I have to hear from Patrick Graham. What are you asking Leonard Williams to do within this defense? And then number two, if you're not expecting him to be a big sack guy, then how do you truly evaluate whether or not he met your expectations, John? Are you looking at the quarterback hits? Are you looking at his ability to stop the run? Because my point is, if that's what they want out of Leonard Williams, then you have to apply those stats and that rationale to Leonard Williams' play as opposed to saying, well, we expected Leonard to get seven sacks. He only got two, so therefore Leonard did not answer the call. No question about it. All right, folks, we have open lines, 201-939-4513. Get on the phones. we got 15 minutes to get your calls in right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Also, hashtag Giants Chat. If you want to get in your questions that way, you certainly can. All right, Lance, um, let's talk about a couple league issues real quick. Uh, a couple of contracts. We talked about Everson Griffin already, so let's kind of close that out a little bit. And the Cowboys are trying to stack pass rushers. The reported contract terms were $3 million, could go up to six with incentives. And I went back, I read a couple of very interesting stories about Everson Griffin. I'm sure the fans remember he had some bizarre off-the-field yeah. issues where just doing some really bizarre things. And, he left the team briefly. Yeah, for five weeks, and he, he apparently lived in a sober house. And it wasn't necessarily a, a substance abuse thing, but it was a combination of him not being able to deal with pressure well. Uh, the, he, he, this is all quotes from him in a story I read, going back to even dealing with the uh, death of his mother back, I think, in 2011 or 2012. And, you know, there were some, I think there was a one DUI or, or DWI at some point, too, with him. So, you know, he went to the sober house. He came out and he said, look, I've never felt this good physically and kind of as a person and kind of figuring out what makes me tick. And he's still going to classes, still talking to people and doing that sort of stuff to, you know, stay in the right state of mind. So the Cowboys have really stacked their roster with guys that have talent but have some things off the field that you kind of have to figure a way through, whether it's Alden Smith or Randy Gregor or Everson Griffin. All three guys' issues are a little bit different. But, you know, they didn't. They have Demarcus Lawrence, but after that, Lance, they're going with some high-risk, high-reward type of players. Yeah, there's a lot of baggage, let's face it, with a lot of those guys you named. I think Everson Griffin, though, opposite Demarcus Lawrence is a nice match because you have one guy playing on his comfortable side and Everson Griffin based on how Minnesota lined him up playing on his comfortable side and they're not going to eat into one another. Plus, I think also it's important to note there's a Cowboys defense that clearly is stockpiling veterans and he falls right in line with that because think about this. They brought in Gerald McCoy and Dontari Poe at the defensive tackle positions, two polished veterans. So Griffin, once again, another guy that can not necessarily be somebody that you're going to play every single down, but he's been through multiple training camps. And once again, you don't have a lot of practice time. You're expecting somebody to come in and produce. It's once again, it's about fit a lot of times, John, with this offseason. It's not about, you know, is the guy going to play 16 games? Is he going to give us 12 sacks? It's about... Can we bring him in in a short period of time? Can he be productive? And based on what Dallas has done this offseason, I think it makes sense. Also, a few of those guys you mentioned. Alden Smith hasn't played since 2015. Randy Gregory has yet to be formally reinstated. Correct. And let's also not forget Tyrone Crawford 
baggage is not necessarily in his department in terms of off-the-field issues. Two hip surgeries, huh? Correct, okay? (laughs) And he only played about four games last year. So the point is, the other guys that they had on the roster who they anticipate playing opposite Demarcus Lawrence all have question marks. To your point, Griffin certainly is not a guarantee to give you X amount of games, but I think it's a nice insurance policy. And here's another thing that I think a lot of people are not talking about, and this is the connection. The NFL is a very small community, John. George Edwards, who was the Vikings defensive coordinator from 2014 to 19, is now a Cowboys senior defensive assistant. I guarantee you he knows Everson Griffin better than most people across the league, and I'm sure he sold Mike Nolan and that staff on the fact, hey, bring him in. He's going to be a good fit. I know how to get the best out of him. I think that was a huge factor as well. Mike McCarthy being in Green Bay. I'm sure he remembers that guy being a thorn in his side for years. 100%. Also, Joe Philbin, remember, is on the Cowboys coaching staff. He was also with Mike McCarthy in Green Bay. Another guy that knows Everson Griffin well. Yeah. what is Philbin? Is 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 he like one of those like kind of like senior assistants with that like a defined role? I believe Philbin is the offensive line coach. Oh, is he the offensive line coach? I am correct, but I'm going to look that up as confirmation. Yes, he is the offensive okay. line coach. Yeah. I got you. Interesting. Yeah. Look, and then the other contract we heard about, we'll get to in a second, but we do have a phone call, Lance, and I have to make sure you know we get him in because you love to talk to him. Um, he's 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 Charlie in Portland, Maine. Charlie, how are you, buddy? Hey. Hey, guys. Hey, how come Dallas is always the ones that are signing players and good players and veteran players? It seems like Jerry Jones is willing to spend the money to improve his team. How has that worked and, out for them the last 10 years? <laughs> I mean, like, I'm serious. Yeah, well, they, they how's won, it like, worked two... out for us? Well, how's it worked out for us? The Giants, have won more, anyway. the Giants have won more playoff games than the Cowboys in the last 10 years, Charlie. <laughs> they have. That's true. Yeah, I know. <laughs> But anyway, go ahead. The thing is, but you know, now you're going to have Thomas and maybe Gates going against Lawrence and going against Griffin. And don't forget, they also got Smith. That guy's been out of football, but when that guy played, he's got his hopefully he's got his head on straight now, which he probably does. That guy was a beast. That guy could play. That so guy Charlie, I, I have some advice. Just give up. Just say they're too I'm, good and give up. <laughs> no, no. What I'm trying to say is, <laughs> is, that, is that why don't we do that? Why can we only afford or only have the will to sign undrafted free agents? Charlie, you do, know, Charlie, do uh, Charlie. Would you like me to list the number of veteran players that the Cowboys lost this off season? No, uh, you don't have to. Okay, Could because because they time. because they're because <laughs> no because there's a lot of them. You talk about all yeah, they, know. you know, they they lost their second best pass rusher in Robert Quinn. They lost their best cornerback in Byron Jones. You know, they lost a lot of really good players this offseason because of money issues. So it's not like Dallas signed everyone back that they wanted to. They lost some very good players this offseason. Well, we did too. We we lost we lost Solder, our starting left tackle. Yeah, but that, but that's our cornerback. Yeah, but they they didn't. But the Giants didn't lose those players for financial reasons. That's my point. Your point is that only oh the Cowboys want to spend money. Uh, they're willing to spend money. That's why they signed these guys. Well, they let players go that made a lot more money and were a lot better than Everson Griffin. All right, that's true. That's true. Part of that's true. Hey, there's one clip you should have played. That that was uh, Kitchens when he talked about Ryzen John. You know what he said about him. Go ahead. He, yeah, he said that he he's working said, hard to learn the offense. I know. It's, it's, and adapt no, to the no, position. No, no, no. That's not what he said. He said he is absorbing it very well. He's very smart. You know, Charlie, guy, Charlie, you know, learning and absorbing information are actually synonyms. So what Lance said is actually correct, by the way. Just FYI. Yeah, but Why we so continue to put guy, him on this show remains to be seen. <laughs> Lance. Just to have some other point of view besides yours. That's <laughs> yeah. Well, well, Charlie, by the way, if you continue to like tweets and I'm watching that have certain commentary, you'll never be welcome back on this show ever again. Uh-oh, I'm just what? making sure that that's a warning. Uh-oh, okay? Uh, tell so me. I'm, I'm making I that have, very clear. I, have not I, a... I, I got some beef with you, Charlie. You continue to act like an irresponsible individual on Twitter. Uh-oh. You're not coming on the show. I, I'm I have, making that very clear. I am not aware okay? of this drama. What's what, what's going on here? I don't even I don't even. I'm know just what making it very clear about. to Charlie, okay? 
I'm just making <laughs> it very clear. I don't know what you're talking he, about, Lance. Well, I suggest you go back and you look on your social media, and then you'll understand. Oh, boy. Oh, okay. Thank I'll you, Charlie. I'll do that. I appreciate Thanks, the guys. call, my friend. Are you going give to you, give you some more on that, Lance, or no? No, I'm not, I'm not going to make issues <laughs> out of something that he should be able to handle himself, okay. and he can go back and look through his social media, see, now and he can understand. Per- see, now it's getting personal. Well, it's not getting personal. Oh, it's it's just, just, it sounds like he, you're taking it personal. He once again... Well, no, he takes things, by the way, <laughs> such as the Rice and John commentary and twist and turn over language we're talking about, jargon, number one, okay, in terms of synonyms we're having a debate about. And uh, as far as the Everson Griffin, which is a subject that's come up a lot on this program, John, because of the fact that some Giants fans were calling for perhaps the Giants to look at him and I have said this multiple times. Griffin, I think, is a very good player. And if the Giants wanted to go in that direction, completely understand it would have made sense. But I also bring up the fact that the Giants and the Cowboys are in two different positions. Bingo! The Cowboys, as we just outlined, have a lot of veteran defensive linemen. They're in win-now mode, Whereas the Giants have a lot of younger defensive linemen. The Cowboys are in win-now mode. You know what I mean? They're like, they are in Super Bowl or bust mode. mode. But even the win-now mode, which I'm not disagreeing with, I'm just talking about the makeup of the roster. Right. That you want to develop these young guys for the Giants. You want to give them the bulk of the playing time. Dallas, if you look at Dallas's roster right now, and you talk about some of the young guys, yeah, Bradley and Nye, for example, they drafted, okay? Lane Van so Der Esch is on the younger player. side, right? Gallimore, who they drafted in the third round. Okay, those are players that, don't get me wrong, you want to see what you have out of them, but you also don't know what you have out of them because of the limited offseason, and you may not be playing them as much as you had anticipated because of the setup and structure of this offseason. So that's why Gerald McCoy, Dontari Poe, Tyrone Crawford, Demarcus Lawrence, now you throw in Everson Griffin— your philosophy, if you're Mike Nolan, is I'm going to rotate those guys. Olden Smith, I'll throw it to the conversation too. And let's just keep these guys fresh. It's, to me, it's different in terms of the makeup of the roster than what the Giants are working with. So if the Giants' philosophy is we're not going to bring in a veteran, rent them for a year to then stunt the development and eat into the playing time of another young guy, I can understand that logic. I think Dallas is operating with a different philosophy right Yeah, now. you're right, because if you bring in Griffin, he takes up like 40 snaps a game, let's say, 30 snaps a game. Those are 30 snaps that you can't get to O'Shane Zimenez. Then maybe you take away from Lorenzo Carter. Two guys you're trying to develop to be long-term answers at the position. So I'm with you. And, and, and that kind of goes back to the point I was trying to make. Just because you, since you're not in like you know, pedal to the metal, go to the Super Bowl mode today in the 2020 season, you want to try to develop these young guys. So you have them long-term rather than giving some of that playing time. And by the way, future salary cap space. And the Cowboys are going to be up yep. against it next year now. Look, theoretically, depending if they can get that contract extension done with Dak Prescott, they could be on hook for $38 million next year with Dak Prescott on a cap that's dropping by like 10%. That could be problematic for them. So... They had to be very careful. And it's going to be problematic for a few too. other teams, by the of way. Of course. Yeah. But it's, it's worse when you got a $38 million guaranteed contract on your books that you can't, that you can't <laughs> mess with the cap on. It makes it more difficult. Uh, two other pieces of news. Speaking of big contracts, uh, I don't think it's official yet necessarily, but George Kittle lands five years, $75 million. Uh, nice hefty sum for him. That's $15 million a year for the fans that um, – didn't get their math degrees and thirty million of guaranteed money for George Kittle, which really kind of dwarfs the deal that Austin Hooper got in the offseason and resets that tight end market a little bit. Yeah, Hooper signed with Cleveland from Atlanta, and that was just over ten million a year. Now all of a sudden, as you pointed out, fifteen. He also got a lot more guaranteed money, but it's well worth the investment. George Kittle is by far one of the best two-way tight ends you're going to find in today's NFL. And also what the Niners ask him to do within Kyle Shanahan's offense, he's a weapon. I don't think it's even fair to label him as a tight end. And the reason why the timing of this is also critical for the Niners, John, George Kittle was a fifth-round pick in 2017. That means he was entering the fourth and final year of his rookie deal. Okay, The way he's playing, you would have thought he was a high draft pick. He was not. He was a gem that was found late in the draft. So that means that he was expected to hit free agency after this season. They obviously could have placed the franchise tag on him. Now it's one less thing the Niners have to worry about by locking up arguably their best weapon. So I think it's a, a wise move to get it over with well before the season starts. And also, as 
as you just alluded to, the unknown of the salary cap next year. You got a guy locked in before, by the way, the market could very well break open because think about this. Travis Kelsey and Zach Ertz still need new contracts. So the fact that the Niners, John, got the deal done before those two guys who are probably going to break George Kittle's mark because that's just how the NFL market plays out. This is a huge win-win, I think, for both parties here. Yeah, look, no question about it. Um, I'm with you. And now there's rumors that Travis Kelsey's on the verge of signing a four-year contract oh, extension. <laughs> uh, Ian Rappaport, by the way, had the report on Kittle, and he had the report on Kelsey. So it's just one of those things where they're sitting there, and it's like, boy, one tight end gets signed, the next one goes, and then let's see who's next. Just like quarterbacks, no? How many yep. times do we have the conversation? It's about timing. It's not about who is the best quarterback or the best tight end. It's about when is your contract up and when did a team reward you? Though That's I will, what it comes down to. Though I will say this, Lance, I'm not sure the next quarterback's topping that Patrick Mahomes contract. I think that might be kind of one of those one-offs where when the next, like, like when Dak Prescott signs his next contract, he's not getting the deal that Patrick Mahomes got. He's just not. So I think it'll be interesting to see how it gets measured because, you know, I think it's, it's kind of universally thought that George Kittle is the best tight end in the league, right? It's universally considered that Mahomes, and we'll, we'll see about Lamar Jackson if he does it for more than one season, is the best quarterback in the league. So I'm not sure you're going to get those contracts topped that quickly. Well, I could see, though, Kelsey being in the Kittle ballpark, though. I would not be surprised. Oh, in the ballpark for sure, yeah. Absolutely. They're right in there. You know, same thing with Zach Ertz. It's certainly going to be more than what Austin Hooper got. I'd be surprised that both of those guys are below Austin Hooper. So to me, the bar has now been set with George Kittle. May not top both of them, but if you're the agent, you're using now George Kittle as the means for your negotiating. And Mahomes, of course, is in a league of his own right now. So, you know, Dak Prescott, I think, understands as well as his reps. We're not looking for an 11-year contract, number one, in terms of length. And as far as the money is concerned, though, you're still, though, maybe operating within that Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, Russell Wilson territory. I don't think that's a stretch, but Mahomes is going to be in a ballpark way beyond any other guy. No doubt about it. That I agree with you there. No question about it. We'll have to see how it goes. Lance, good stuff, my friend. Absolutely. Thanks for being with us on today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmelk. Tomorrow it'll be Meadow, Detino, and a little bit of Schmelk as I run the board and chime in if they need me right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. But most importantly, folks, will react to the first actual offense versus defense practice. Alleluia. Something new to talk about. Thank goodness. We've been begging <laughs> for it. We're finally going to get it. Well, we'll see you tomorrow, everybody. Stay safe. Until then.